Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 36 in our series for 2021, and today's date is Friday, October the 8th. First, I'll be talking to Justin Hanker, a director at Shape Capital, the company behind Mind Biotherapeutics, an exciting Melbourne business doing pioneering work on psychedelic LSD microdosing research. And I'll be talking to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James about market trends in the week ahead. But now let's talk to Justin Hanker. Justin, uh, tell us about the work of Mind Biotherapeutics. Uh, you're doing pioneering work on psychedelic microdosing research. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so, so Mind Biotherapeutics is a multidisciplinary company, and we're interested in these novel and emerging treatments and therapies for mental health conditions. And we're really trying to solve for the mental health crisis that we're facing globally at present. We're very excited about some of the early work we're doing in formulation development and the use of psychedelics and microdosing uh, these type of medicines. To, to, for, to treat mental health conditions. We're also interested in some emerging technologies that are available to treat these conditions and also the adjacent psychotherapies, which sort of all m- merge together quite neatly. Now, you're, you started phase one clinical trials at the University of Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, it's a safety study of participants microdosing LSD, of all things, to patients. Yeah, that's right. It's quite a, an exciting study we're doing. We're one of only a handful of companies globally that are publicly listed and doing these kind of rigorous trials with the protocols that are required at phase one level. It's one of the largest safety studies, we believe. It's quite unique of its kind. So we have approvals by the New Zealand government to be able to import LSD, to use it, manipulate it in a laboratory, and then for a doctor to prescribe LSD in microdoses to participants who take the drug home and use it in the same way they would any other medication. Uh, so this safety trial is unique, and we're very excited about some of the data and the results that will come from this. But it's still early days, but LSD is known for its profound impact that it has on the brain. It's no surprise that it's doing something. And now with the with the technology that we have, we, we've got the ability to understand that better than we ever had before. So what impact does LSD have on the brain and human behaviour? Yeah, well, so look, it's been known for, you know, it was just take you back the history of LSD. It was created in the lab in 1938 by Dr. Albert Hoffman. It was it was found accidentally, and then you know, fast forward a few years, it was it started to be used in psychiatry. They didn't really understand what, what the impact was. 
and then it was banned really in 1970 after it sort of got got out of control and people were using it rec- recreationally. But it was a grand shame because this these psychedelic compounds, these hallucinogenics, have a profound impact on the brain, and we understand now that it it promotes the growth of dendrites. It actually imp- increases the neural connectivity and connections in the brain. It's a, a concept known as neuro, neural plasticity, and uh, so. Scientists want to know more about that, and that's what all this research is all about. The impact of LSD on the brain is that it, it, it triggers a receptor that is known for serotonin production and is active in that area. So we're really excited about this type of research because you know, the early data and the early science says that it, that it works to treat conditions like major depressive disorder and PTSD, and we're seeing some terrific results already. So major depressive disorders? That's right, absolutely. So in, so in the US alone... The condition that's involved in disability, I think, in adults, that's most prevalent in adults, uh, the number one condition that causes disability is major depressive disorder. And 6.3% of the adult population will will experience that disorder in their lifetime. So it is it is pretty profound. If we already know that LSD in microdoses is tolerated better than antidepressant drugs, the current treatment re- regimens that are available. So the next step really is to show that these drugs are better at treating these type of conditions. And if that, those two things are available and it is, and proof is available from the data and the research, well, then we have an opportunity to commercialise these drugs and, and get them out to patients at scale. That would be quite fascinating because mental health conditions is now a major issue coming out in COVID right around the world. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, you know, some of this research has been fast-tracked due to that uh, the results of the COVID. Um, interestingly, my, my, my take on COVID is that you know, there's, there's no pill that's going to solve the distress of people that, is, that have come out of COVID. And we're certainly not promoting our drug development as, as that solution. We think that, you know, it's quite a complex issue. Uh, but certainly, you know, if, if we have a patient that's got major depressive disorder and they found themselves in a terrible state, they can't get out of it. There's no treatment that's worked. If these treatments are available to treat those conditions and to provide a, re- a solution, well, then that would be great work. And so we, we think we're doing, this research is worthwhile. You know, these these medications are known to be a reset. They're believed to, to kind of reset a patient that's in that sort of condition. So we're, we're very excited about, you know, being able to be a part of, of this renaissance of the psychedelic medicines. And you've also received approval for phase two clinical trials. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So our process will be, our, our phase one trials will complete April, May next year, we believe, COVID dependent because it's been disrupted a little because of COVID. And then shortly thereafter, a couple of months, we'll reset, we'll retool the laboratory. We will be running two concurrent studies. One is a large study for major depressive disorder. That's a large phase two trial. And then a smaller phase two trial in late stage cancer patients. And uh, so both of those studies are really exciting for the, you know, the potential to show some of the results that we're hoping to see from them. Now, uh, what's interesting too, is that you're developing pioneering formulations with technology and artificial applications to ensure the safe dosage. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so there's a technology available to us now to be able to monitor the effects of these drugs are having on the body and on the brain. Uh, along with psychometric tests and analysis that can be supported by technology. But uh, interestingly, the clinical trial protocols will collect an enormous amount of data, and that data can be used to create algorithms and artificial intelligence to determine things like, you know, what is the, the dosage that a person might uh, take? Uh, because 
a microdose is supposed to be a sub-perceptual dose of this drug. And so those, artif- those algorithms and that artificial intelligence and the data will help determine dosage, for instance, you know, based on a person's weight or height or gender or age or, or those sorts of things. So technology is forming a very strong and important part of the work that we're doing. This is a collaboration out of the University of Auckland uh, between the, the School of Medicine the School of Pharmacy and the School of Engineering to create these novel emerging products. Of course, you've had, you've recently had Blackhawk investing in your company. Is that right? That's right. Yes, we're we're really excited to announce uh, that Blackhawk Growth Corp, which is a Canadian securities exchange listed company, has acquired 100% of the shares in Mind Biotherapeutics, and uh, so the shareholders of Mind Biotherapeutics now are shareholders in Blackhawk. Blackhawk is a listed investment holding company and its really sole purpose is to to acquire these assets to invest in them to incubate them and then to to develop them into a a number of a number of things so there's a number of possibilities that can happen with mind biotherapeutics now uh, that stem from this investment and one of those includes a spin-out for instance a spin-out listing on its own right on the on the on the canadian securities exchange or it could be acquired by another company uh, that's larger in the sector we could even do a straight line to the NASDAQ and be acquired by a special purpose acquisition company. Uh, these these uh, SPACs, they're known as are, are cash boxes, and they're waiting for assets like this. So there's a number of options, and there'll be some announcements that are made over the coming weeks and months about which strategy we, we intend to take, and we're really excited about uh, the next stages of this business. That's quite extraordinary, and, and what's, what's interesting too is that you could potentially be listing in Australia. Absolutely. There's a potential to list, to sort of to dual list uh, back in, in Australia. We certainly will uh, list, cross list on in Frankfurt and in Europe. There's a lot of interest in, in our company and a lot of shareholders in Blackhawk that are interested in the developments of mind biotherapeutics. So we're seeing a lot of trading out of Frankfurt and Germany and other parts of Europe. Um, so that's very exciting to us to have this kind of, you know, we've, we're a little Melbourne company here that's kind of gone global uh, in a very short period of time. So, what are the future plans for mind biotherapeutics? Well, well, I think you know the next steps really are to you know we've got the corporate structures of, um, you know being set up. Obviously, this acquisition with from by Blackhawk is very important. It's important to get us our first steps into the capital markets because the capital markets are where we're able to access the capital, the large amounts of capital to be able to 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 incubate these assets to support the research programs that we're doing, which is so important to to you know proving that these drugs work and they're safe and so forth and meeting the regulatory approval and going through those processes there's a there's a large amount of money that needs to be spent in in uh, you know testing the technology creating the technology as and so forth and so you'll see a probably over the next you know, month or two, you know, the, the strategies being released to the market as, as they sort of evolve. Okay, so we could see uh, mind biotherapeutics growing quite massively over the next year or so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, 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 the growth can be, you know, the trajectory of growth of these companies is, is quite astounding. What we're seeing, you know, we're, we're one of a handful of companies now that have, that are publicly listed and doing these rigorous clinical trials at phase one and phase two level now being approved. We're, we're in a jurisdiction in, in New Zealand where, where these tests can be done, the research can be done. It's, it's a very, it's a good environment for, for us to be able to do it because it's, it's rare to be able to get those kinds of approvals. So over the next year, we, you know, we, you could see Mind Biotherapeutics listed as in its own right. 
and then you know curating its own assets within within its within the company and uh, so we're really excited about uh, what that might look like but as i said there's a number of options that are available uh, within blackhawk because blackhawk is a listed investment holding company and it has a special status and it's able to do things that other listed companies on the cc are not able to do and so the acquisition was quite prof- um, profound in its ability to, to to change the direction and influence the direction of mine buyer well that'll be fascinating to watch justin and, and thank you very much for your time thank you much appreciated and now let's talk to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James. Craig, what's ahead in the market this week? Well, Leon, there's a whole range of indicators that will be released over the week. We've got the NAB Business Survey coming out on Tuesday. We've got the monthly reading of consumer sentiment happening on Wednesday together with tourist arrivals. Not that tourist arrivals is much of an interest in anyone yes, at the moment, but the standout has got to be Thursday. It's got to be the job figures on Thursday. Unfortunately, yes, the impact of the lockdown is making interpretation of the data somewhat hard. People in lockdown, they're at home. They, they can't work. So the hours of work, yes, the number, yes, it goes down. But they're not unemployed as well. They're still attached to their employer. So what we saw last month is a fall of the unemployment rate from 4.6% down to 4.5%. That was a 12 and a half year low and seemed... Surprising given the fact that you know, New South Wales and, and Victoria for, for part of you know, the month of August were in you know, the lockdown. But uh, I suppose you know, so in terms of predicting, you know, so it's a little bit hard to predict the figures. We've just got to understand that you know, so the, the, the data does reflect the fact that we've been in lockdown. If we look at the August figures, 146,000 jobs were lost and that really highlighted the shutdown in, in New South Wales. But you know, for September, we've got not just New South Wales, but we've got... Victoria and the ACT to consider as well. So it is very much a lottery, but fundamentally, as right at the bottom, you know, sort of everything, we do know that the job market is in good shape because the borders are closed and, and businesses are finding it hard to attract and retain staff. But the issue is hours work. I mean, that crashed in the August figures and it's going to crash again, surely. Yeah, yes. The, the Bureau of Statistics say... When we're in lockdown, the best measure of what's happening in terms of the job market is the hours work figure. And as you rightly say, uh, in the month of August, what we saw is New South Wales hours work down by 6.5% in the space of you know, sort of one month. Now, the September figures aren't going to be any brighter. As I say, I mean, it's not just New South Wales, it's Victoria and the ACT as well. So uh, people are sitting at home. They can't work, you know, so the hours that they want to work. Uh, so as a result, hours work, you know, so it crashes. But they're not unemployed. They remain attached to their employer. And they're not actively looking for work, you know, so in the COVID you know, so period either. So it is a fairly complicated, you know, so situation to assess. But as I say, I mean, you know, so fundamentally, once we get through this lockdown and come out the other side, we'll find out the, the, the true state of the job market. And uh, I think what it's going to indicate is the job market still remains in pretty good shape. But but even though we won't be heading into a zero COVID environment, it'll still be it'll still be much better than what it is now. Yeah, so I suppose businesses are going to be fairly cautious in terms of reopening. I've heard a number of businesses that are saying, look, people are not going to be back into their workplace until December. So it's still a few months to be able to come through and a few months to be able to work out what's happening in terms of the economy. So we've had the August figures we know and and part of July were affected by shutdowns. That's very much going to be the case over October and certainly part of November as well. And we're only going to get a clearer reading about what's happening in the economy once we move through into uh, December. We, in terms of looking at the Australian economy, we expect that the 
September quarter economic growth figures are going to be dreadful. We're going to see a decline of around about 4.4%. So we're hopeful that uh, the reopening over November and December will lift the, the GDP figures. But you know, it does make you know, sort of complicated reading at the moment, trying to work through all the statistics. Talk about the NAB survey. What are you expecting from that? Well, it's interesting in the last month, in the month of August, what we saw was an improvement in confidence, an improvement in business conditions. Most people would scratch their head and say, well, how could that be the, the case when you've got all this concern about uh, Delta cases, when you've got lockdowns happening? But what business is doing, uh, is still working, particularly in terms of the, the retail you know, sort of area. What we're seeing is a lot of people are still purchasing their goods, but purchasing it online rather than physical purchases, things like, you know, sort of going, dropping you in, into a retailer, getting filled up, you know, sort of with the, the goodies in, in your boot and, you know, sort of driving away. So this is the whole new, you know, sort of environment. I think also in terms of businesses, as well as consumers, most of them are saying, well, the real encouragement for us at the moment is the vaccination rates. Vaccination rates continue to rise. And if that continues to be the case, then we will get out of lockdown and not just out of lockdown, we won't be uh, experiencing these sorts of lockdowns you know, in the future. And that's the expectations. That's the feeling of businesses and consumers. And that's why we've seen consumer sentiment and also business sentiment rising in recent months. And, of course, uh, the new model for retail and business generally is Click and Connect. Well, very much, you know, sort of Click Connect, you know, sort of um, buying goods over the uh, the internet and getting them delivered, you know, sort of at home. You know, the big problem, I suppose, at the moment is the delivery services they know that they're in a period of strength you know, sort of where they can dictate some terms at the moment. There's strong demand, uh, not enough supply in terms of the workers, and they're looking for, for higher pay. And you know, that's what you expect when you get a period of strength or solidity that have been shown by an industry sector. So um, yeah, it will be interesting to be able to see what the latest figures are. As I say, business confidence improved you know, since the last month. Consumer confidence, the, the Westpac Melbourne Institute reading was coming out on Wednesday. And in September, that was up by 2%. So we'll have the October reading. We'll see whether that optimism still exists in terms of uh, lockdowns ending because of high vaccination rates. And you would say the high vaccination rates would drive a lot of the business confidence and consumer confidence? Oh, very much the case. Uh, when you have to weigh up you know, some factors at the moment, and people want hope, people want the, the hope that we'll be able to get a lockdown. And that hope comes from vaccination rates. And it's not uh, a mere hope. It's certainly, yes, there's a lot of fundamentals, you know, so behind it, those vaccination rates, you know, sort of are indeed you know, continuing to, to rise. And the hope is once they get up to those magic figures of 70%, 80%, even, you know, so 90%, then we'll uh, start to see, you know, so life return to some semblance, you know, sort of normality. It may not be exactly the same as what it was in the past, but at least you know, so we're getting, you know, sort of back to some sense of normality. And that's the expectation anyway. So while we're not going back to BC before COVID, things could be looking up as the vaccination rates increase. Yeah, that's certainly the, the case. I suppose one of the other issues for businesses, and it'll be interesting to be able to see in terms of Tuesday's figures, is the impact on prices and the availability of goods because of COVID. In many parts of the world, we're seeing prices you know, sort of rising. The availability of goods you know, is not there because people have been you know, sort of locked down and uh, supply chains have been disrupted. And that'll be one of the other focus points over the week because over this week, what we'll have in China is we'll have some inflation figures. And also in terms of the United States, we'll see some inflation figures. So 
In terms of the United States, the consumer price index is coming out on Wednesday. We have the Chinese inflation figures coming out on Thursday. And also on Thursday, we've got the producer price figures, the, the business inflation figures coming out of the United States. So what the Federal Reserve is trying to work out in the United States is when is the, the best time to start tapering, start to, to wind back stimulus. And they're concerned about you know, high inflation rates and they, they may be remain elevated if they don't you know, sort of ease some of the uh, stimulus coming out of the, the system. So we do have the uh, US rate of inflation, which is very, very high at the moment, the core rate of inflation sitting at 4.0%, and the headline rate at 5.3%. Now, generally, the US is quite happy with inflation somewhere around about 2%. So you can see that it is elevated at the moment. They know that there's temporary reasons why, because of COVID, you know, so the availability of goods, and uh, that's why we're seeing you know, sort of prices rise. But uh, there's a concern is, you know, sort of do these figures become entrenched? And if they become entrenched, then the uh, policymakers like the central bank have a much harder job. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, it'll be, it'll be, indeed, if inflation does rise, it will be taxing the minds of the RBA about whether they do lift rates. Well, the Reserve Bank still got this view that it'll be 2024 at the earliest before interest rates start to rise, and they, they certainly want to continue to maintain stimulus for our economy. So, yes, it's one for all central banks at the moment. There's only one major central bank around the world, Norway, which has actually lifted interest rates. So, They've been the first central bank to, to lift interest rates. Most of the other central banks have been a little bit more cautious than that, saying we want to make sure that this inflation rate is uh, going to be maintained at higher levels before we start easing too much of the stimulus in the system. And indeed, in this Delta era, the COVID era, reacting too quickly to, to events, you know, so that it can see so you come out and stuck. Well, the issue with the COVID era is we have to make sure what we're looking at is a long-term trend rather than a short blip. That's very much the case. That's very much the case. And yes, it's a question about whether the inflation is transitory or temporary. And and you can understand the Federal Reserve by their expectation that inflation is more transitory or temporary. We do know that even things like the production of cars, production of cars has been constrained because 
people haven't been able to to work in their workplaces and build the the cars and also the supply chains things like the computer chips coming out of asia has been disrupted as well but once you start to get people come back to work we get economies reopening more normality is happening in terms of people's work patterns the cars start to be produced again the televisions start to be produced again we do start to see that supply is arising and it's basically a mismatch that we're seeing at the moment people coming out of lockdown and saying okay i've got all this money i want to buy you know, all these goods but unfortunately the goods aren't there because you know people have been in lockdown and they haven't been producing those goods well craig it's that's all fascinating stuff and thank you very much again for your insights not a problem at all down thank you very much so what's happening in the news well mark zuckerberg's personal wealth has fallen by nearly us 7 billion dollars that's 9.6 billion dollars aussie in a few hours knocking him down a notch on the list of the world's richest people after a whistleblower came forward and outages took Facebook's flagship products, Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp, offline. A sell-off sent the social media giant's stock plummeting about 5% on Monday US time, adding to a drop of 15% since mid-September. Facebook blamed a faulty configuration change for a nearly six-hour outage on Monday, that's Tuesday, Australian time, that prevented the company's 3.5 billion users from assessing its social media and messaging services such as WhatsApp, Instagram and Messenger. The company in a late Monday blog post did not specify who executed the configuration change and whether it was planned. And Donald Trump is suing to get his Twitter account restored, claiming the tech giant caved into pressure from his rivals. The former US president asked a federal judge in Florida to request Twitter to restore his account, which was removed nearly 10 months ago. Mr. Trump has now filed a request for a preliminary injunction against Twitter in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida. He claims that the tech giant was coerced by members of Congress to suspend his Twitter account. And his lawyers say that Twitter is censoring the former president and violating his First Amendment rights. Twitter exercises a degree of power and control over political discourse in this country that is immeasurable, historically unprecedented and profoundly dangerous to open democratic debate, Mr. Trump's lawyers said in the filing. Mr. Trump who boasted 88 million followers during his time in charge, was indefinitely suspended from Twitter in January, following the shocking US Capitol riot that left five dead. The social media platform said Mr Trump violated the platform's policy barring glorification of violence. And abuse towards retail staff has skyrocketed in Sydney during the COVID-19 pandemic, new government data has revealed. Verbal abuse, threats and violence has intensified by almost 80% in some suburbs in Sydney during the last financial year, according to data collected by the McKell Institute from the Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research. The research suggests that the abuse has been the worst in areas in southwestern Sydney, such as Campbelltown, which are under the strictest lockdown laws in the country, adding immense pressure to communities. Stalking, harassment and intimidation at retail and wholesale outlets rose 24% in Fairfield, 44% in the CBD and up to 78% in Campbelltown, according to the data. And Treasurer Josh Frydenberg was warned by the ATO last July that 1,000 JobKeeper applicants with more than $250 million in turnover had booked revenue significantly diverging from forecasts of a downturn, while many were amending prior period sales figures to potentially gain eligibility to the program. Just three months into the $90 billion wage subsidy program, the Australian Taxation Office also told Treasury it had found dozens of multinational organisations known as significant global entities with more than $1 billion in yearly global revenue that had won payments by using a 30% decline in turnover test rather than the required 50% threshold. 
A ministerial submission on July the 30th from ATO Deputy Commissioner James O'Halloran is the first indication the agency was actively scrutinising possible turnover manipulation involving large corporations. And the Reserve Bank of Australia left interest rates unchanged at 0.1% and retained its weekly $4 billion bond buying program that will remain until at least February, according to its latest monetary policy statement. And QR code technology will form the backbone of Victoria's mandatory vaccination scheme for venues opening to increased numbers of patrons once the state reaches its 70% full-dose target about October the 26th. Premier Danley Landrieu said further details of the scheme, which will require patrons to prove their vaccination status to enter a range of hospitality venues and businesses, would be announced in coming weeks after results from regional trials are known. Trials will be rolled out from October the 11th in the Basque Coast, Greater Bendigo, Pyrenees, Warrnambool, Bull Oak and East Gippsland municipalities, across hospitality, hairdressing, beauty services and tourism businesses, plus events including race meetings, community celebrations and concerts. The results of those trials will help guide the emerging vaccinated economy across the rest of Victoria. And thousands of people in electorates across Melbourne and Western Sydney will be driven back into poverty with the end of special COVID-related disaster payments, and new analysis warns it could stifle the nation's recovery out of lockdown. Data compiled by the University of New South Wales shows seats such as Blacksland, Watson and Werriwa in Sydney, and Corwell, Layla and Holt in Melbourne have experienced huge increases in people whose financial support will drop dramatically as the disaster payments finish. The weekly payments provide $450 for those who've lost fewer than 20 hours of work a week and $750 for those who've lost more. Those on income support who work up to eight hours received an extra $200 a week. Once a state or territory reaches 70% full vaccination, people will have to reapply each week that a Commonwealth hotspot declaration remains in place to confirm they can continue to receive the payment. At 80% full vaccination, the payment will be reduced over two weeks. In the first week, a flat $450 will be paid to anyone who's lost more than 800 hours of work, while those on income support who have been working will get $100. Payments to New South Wales residents could start falling from October the 11th and in Victoria in the second half of the month, with the government arguing that as the economy is reopened, employment will recover. Combined with assistance to businesses, which is also being phased out in line with vaccination targets, the federal government estimates it will spend $20 billion responding to the Delta outbreak. The new University of New South Wales research conducted with the Australian Council of Social Service shows a change in the number of people on JobSeeker and other welfare since September 2019. Between then and October last year, the number of people receiving the report climbed by more than 900,000 to 2.2 million. In addition to JobSeeker, most of these people were receiving $550 a fortnight supplement. A year on, there are still almost 1.7 million on assistance. An estimated 160,000 of these people will lose the $200 a week. The report found the end to the extra payment would have a major impact on some of the poorest parts of the country. And higher sales from at-home food constant consumption are likely to counter the impact of shorter trading hours and store closures as Woolworths, Coles and Metcash's independent supermarkets battle to keep stores adequately staffed amid Melbourne's burgeoning Delta outbreak. Coles, which has about 1,000 staff in Victoria isolating, reduced out trading hours at 18 stores in Victoria over the weekend. Woolworths, which also has about 1,000 staff in isolation, closed two stores at Water Garden South and Altona North and operated reduced trading hours at 21 stores. Analysts said the impact on sales of store closures and reduced trading was likely to be offset by heightened demand for fresh food and grocery staples as Melbourne residents remained in lockdown until around October the 26th. JP Morgan analysts Brian Raymond and Chris McKegg expect same-source sales growth in supermarkets to rebound in the September and December quarters because of increased at-home consumption during lockdown. 
And the tax office says it will analyse a trove of secret documents released by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists that allegedly show the secret tax affairs of the super wealthy and famous to see if it can identify any possible Australian links. The consortium of journalists made up of 600 reporters from 117 countries, including Australia, on Monday released a trove of private financial documents that it said exposed the offshore business structures being used by scores of billionaires, as well as royal families and the elite to hide their affairs from tax authorities. The data leak is the most recent of many projects by the ICIJ based on documents sourced from firms that specialise in setting up complex offshore business structures for wealthy clients. Local news outlets, the Australian Financial Review, the ABC and Guardian Australia are all members of the consortium. Mm. The leak, dubbed the Pandora Papers by the consortium, came from 14 separate entities around the world, including Asia City, a company established by Sydney accountant Graham Briggs, according to the there is no suggestion that Mr Briggs was involved in any wrongdoing. The ICIJ said the files revealed secret offshore holdings of more than 130 billionaires, including 46 Russian oligarchs. The files also revealed the 14 firms served bankers, large political donors, arms dealers, international criminals and pop stars, including Elton John and Ringo Starr. The document also details the, of the affairs of the rich and famous, including details how a Russian woman, who reportedly had a child with Russian President Vladimir Putin, purchased a luxury home in Monaco. In a statement on Monday following the release of the documents, the ATO said it would be analysing the information to identify any possible Australian links. And Deloitte Australia will require all employees be vaccinated to enter company offices by the start of next year, becoming the first of the big four professional services firms to implement a partial vaccine mandate. On Monday, Deloitte Australia CEO Adam Powick told the firm's partners, employers, contractors and suppliers that proof of vaccination will be required to enter company premises and attend company events. Under the new policy, all partners, employees and contractors will be required to declare their vaccination status to the firm. However, it is understood the policy is not necessarily permanent and may no longer be needed as the health and safety impacts of COVID-19 in a highly vaccinated nation become clearer. And lockdown restrictions are driving spending on home appliances, which is translating to brands in the category splashing more on advertising, a report from media agency Zenith said. In Australia, Zenith predicts that advertising spending by home appliance brands will rise from US $260 million, that's $358 million Aussie, in 2020, to US $318 million this year, an amount that is also more than US $303 million spent by the category in 2019. And it will not stop there. By 2023, spending on advertising by home appliance brands is, is predicted to reach US $337 million. The investment in advertising spending is a result of consumers investing in their homes, using money normally spent on socialising or on holidays on large and small appliances such as cookers, washing machines, dishwashers and air conditioning units. Zenith expects consumers to continue to devote more of their time and budgets to the home than before the COVID-19 pandemic, even as restrictions ease, forecasting 6% annual growth in home appliance ad spend in 2022-23. Zenith Australia's client Bosch, owned by BSH Home Appliances Australia, said it spent more, than, more this year for brand awareness campaigns across TV, outdoor billboards and digital advertising compared with previous years. And Nick Scarley will almost double his store footprint after acquiring sofa retailer Plush from Freedom Furniture owner Greenlit Brands for $103 million. Plush has 46 stores and an online store and sells sofas and accessories and cushions and rugs. The acquisition will lift Nick Scarley's store portfolio in Australia and New Zealand to 208. Like Nick Scarley, Plush has been a big beneficiary of the boom in spending on furniture and homewares during the pandemic. Plush's sales rose to $160 million in 2021, from $111 million in 2020, and underlying earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation reached $27 million, up from $10 million. 
Nick Scala expects a deal to boost earnings per share in the first full year of ownership before synergy benefits are realised. And Australia's largest pizza chain is using machine learning and data modelling in Microsoft's Azure cloud service to create a digital twin of one of its stores. Microsoft has signed the three-year strategic technology and services agreement with Domino's Pizza Enterprises, which will use Azure to help accelerate the company's modernisation and expansion plans. Microsoft says that despite the constraints of the global pandemic, Domino's continues to grow rapidly and in the last financial year it served 281 million pizzas, opened 285 new stores around the world and recorded US $3.7 billion worth of network sales and this financial year it expects to open a further 500 stores. Its latest wave of digital modernisation sees Domino's transitioning workloads and data collections from on-premise servers and optimising its ordering and fulfilment systems, which will in turn enhance the customer experience and build loyalty. Australia's largest pizza chain will use machine learning and data modelling in Microsoft's Azure cloud service to create an experimental digital twin of one of its company-owned stores in Queensland in the hope of designing a kitchen that allows a pizza or side order to be made with fewer steps, shaving precious seconds off the time it takes to get the fast food out the door. If the digital twin experiment works, the methodology will be replicated in stores around the country and other countries where the Australian company holds master franchise rights whenever a store is being refurbished or built. The Australian company Domino's Pizza Enterprises is the world's largest international franchisee of the American brand and now has more than 2,800 stores in 10 markets, including Japan, France and Taiwan. And coronavirus cases at the Port of Melbourne have combined with rolling strikes and huge congestion at the docks to threaten imports and exports in the lead-up to Christmas. Patrick Terminals has been forced to isolate up to 20% of its Melbourne workforce over the weekend due to one COVID-19 case, just as the Maritime Union of Australia kicked off a month of 12-hour stoppages at the Stevedore on Monday, three days a week, every week. In a sign the dock strikes could have significant ramifications for Christmas orders, other major stevedores, who are also dealing with their own COVID-19 cases, have said they have limited or no capacity to take on vessels affected by the Patrick stoppages. And big Australian greenhouse gas polluters have pledged to hit net zero emissions by 2050, with the nation's cement and concrete industry and a major aluminium producer taking action to meet green goals ahead of a looming Glasgow Climate Summit. Australia's largest building materials players, including Boral, Adbri, Cement Australia and Hanson, plan to deliver net zero carbon cement and concrete to Australian society by 2050, while the owner of Victoria's huge Portland aluminium smelter has also committed to meeting the same green goal. A more ambitious move has also been laid out by billionaire Andrew Forrest Fortescue Metals Group, which doubled down on its bet it can make hydrogen a key export commodity, staking ambitious plans to decarbonise its iron ore operations on the technology. It wants to cut its scope three emissions, those attributable to customers for its products, to net zero by 2040. The targets underscore a sweeping move by Australian businesses to curb greenhouse gas emissions with the cement and metals industry both under pressure to lighten their environmental load given they are major carbon emitters. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Tom Cornell, the head of assessments APAC at Hireview, about how Aussies can prepare for the Great Resignation, where employees are moving away from jobs where they feel unappreciated are instead moving towards new priorities and goals for more money to greater control over their time in the COVID era. And I'll be talking to economist Sinclair Davidson about whether Australia can bounce back. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. 
Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you talking business next week.